listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to a long overdue edition of the Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I'm your host, Jim Laird. Well, here I finally am. Uh, I've been planning to do shows um, for quite some time, but things just didn't work out with interviews that I wanted to schedule, guests, just conflicting schedules. And, you know, I've been, over the last several months, kind of reevaluating where I am, reevaluating my business. Um, in October, I downsized my gym. I had an 8,000 square foot facility. Um, in the past, had multiple coaches, had a float tank, had all that kind of stuff going on. And really, you know, at the end of my lease, I kind of sat down and said, you know, do I want to keep going the direction I'm going where I have to add more coaches, uh, add more clients in order to uh, meet the demands of my overhead? Um, you know, advertised for the float tank. And I kind of just sat down and pulled out a piece of paper and said, what does my ideal business look like for me? And, um, and the, what I figured out in the last, gosh, how many years has it been since I opened my own place? Um, it's be six, seven years now, I believe. Um, I've figured out that I am not very good at managing people. Um, I've had some great people work for me. I've had some great people try and help me manage things, but I've just realized that really my number one thing I enjoy is coaching people directly. So basically what I have done is simplified things so that I can focus mainly on Um, coaching people, which is what I really love to do and, um, lowering my overhead, getting into a facility that is much more practical for what I need. Um, I had a lot of space at the other place that was kind of wasted. So I'm able to reduce my overhead dramatically. Uh, I have one really good staff member that, that does a great job that, that I get along with really well. And I sold the float tank off, uh, which really sucks because I really enjoyed using it for myself. But after having it for, for almost a year, um, just the amount of marketing and the amount of work it has to put into maintenance and all that good stuff um, was just taking away from my ability to coach. And, and, you know, really in the last couple months, I've kind of sat down and looked back over the last couple years and I've really kind of searched for looking at when I'm in a really good place and when I'm in a good place it's when I'm outside uh, fishing spending time outdoors Uh, when I tend to struggle with uh, motivation with my health is when I become what I call a zoo animal Um, indoors coaching all day usually winter time I struggle like this time of year I'm spending more time inside. I'm not getting outside enough. Um, so I've really tried to um, 
kind of reorganize things. So I am getting outside every day. I'm spending more time outside. Um, I've made some some mild some changes in the gym to kind of make the gym more outdoorsy, so to speak. I've been doing a lot more workouts outside. Um, that's helped me a lot. And um, I think you know a lot of the struggles I have is is the reason why a lot of people are struggling in general is because we have just become inside creatures. You know, we're inside under uh, fake lights instead of being outside in the sun, outside in the air. And, you know, our modern life has just taken away um, a lot of these uh, things that, you know, we take for granted that, you know, 100 years ago, we spent 90% of our time outside. And now we're spending 90% of our time inside, you know, staring at a screen, uh, you know, doing stuff like this, so to speak. So I'm trying to do more things to try to become less zoo animal-ish. Now, over the last couple months, I've had some some really good questions. So we're going to go into a little bit of Q and A, and then I'm going to discuss an article that uh, that I really enjoyed, um, that kind of explains things um, really simply. And you know, really, when I do these shows, um, you know, one of the things that that I have to do is make things as simple as possible for people, and um, that's what I have to do in my job is is make things as simple as possible because people. You know, when you train clients, they really aren't interested as much in the why, but they're they're interested in in simplicity. Like they they don't really they just they want to you know they either want to feel better or they want a performance you know goal increase, and it's my job to to simply lay things out as simply as possible on how to get them where they want to go. So in these shows, really, when I do these things, I really try and take some complicated things and make them as simple as possible. So that being said, Dan Dan emailed me and um, he basically asked a question. He or he said I'm 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 having back pain when I squat heavy, and I'm going to a physical therapist and I can't figure this out. And I've been dealing this with this for quite some time. So the way we're going to deal with this is one: I'm not a PT, I'm not a physician, but I will give some general advice of some things to try, you know, especially because, you know, dealing with some of the things I have in the past and in dealing with clients and, and clients that are referred to me by PTs that do have pain in certain things, how we work around those and how we basically um, overcome, you know, things like that. So the first thing, you know, it's interesting because Dan says I have pain when I squat heavy. Okay. So the first thing I would recommend that Dan think about is, if you only have pain when you squat heavy, then work up to a weight that you can do pain-free and stay there for quite some time. Um, most people that I see that either have pain squatting or deadlifting or doing something, um, usually they don't have what I'd call an ideal bracing strategy. They don't know how to brace circumferentially. Um, pain is a really complicated thing. There's so many, if you listen to people like Bill Hartman, a lot of times he'll tell you straight up he doesn't know why someone's hurting, um, you know, but he just tries to check off as many boxes as he can. Um, if you look at pain as a, as a protective mechanism that your body is basically saying, hey, dude, you're not ready to do this. And, you know, that pain might be keeping you from really hurting yourself. Um, many times it's that you've overloaded the tissue too much and you've, you've done too much to it or you've haven't done enough to prepare your body for that uh, that you're doing. 
So I would recommend working up to a weight that you can handle easily uh, with no pain and just stay there and just keep training. Another thing I'd recommend is you getting a book called Back Mechanic by Stuart McGill. And um, I went to a seminar a couple weeks ago with Stuart McGill and Ed Cohn and Stan Efferding, and it was it was fantastic. And uh, you know, if you're a power lifter or a strength athlete and you're not doing the McGill tight tight uh, big three, which is like a a braced bird dog, uh, some sort of side plank. Uh, and he almost does like a reverse crunch kind of deal, which can be, you know, it could be a dead bug variation or something along those lines. Uh, those exercises are going to help teach you how to brace properly. But he has this great book that goes through a self-diagnostic um, process where you can figure out exactly what your pain mechanism is and how to either work around it or avoid it or desensitize yourself to it. So if you're somebody that has back pain or low back pain, um, that book would be, be highly recommended. But, you know, when I have somebody that I'll have somebody that's referred to me by a PT, um, that, you know, an older person, especially, uh, a lot of times it's just a matter of changing the way you're doing things. Like if I have like an older person that says they can't get up off the toilet without hurting, um, it might be as simple as them open, like, like, like them widening their stance up a little bit and at, and actively bracing as they stand up and then they're okay. Or, you know, looking at the way they get up and get down and making a few suggestions. So a lot of times it's playing around with things um, and bracing strategy, especially on squats and deadlifts, uh, to avoid pain. And then, you know, doing the trunk work needed or, you know, whatever um, corrective exercise you need to bring up weak areas so that you're more stable and that's really up to your PT. And, and, and if you're, you haven't had any luck with the PT you're seeing, try and find a PT that works with athletes uh, because there's a big difference between a physical therapist that works with general population and one that understands athletes. Luckily, I have several PTs here in Lexington that I refer to that know how to work with strength athletes or wrestlers or MMA guys or whoever I'm working with, baseball players. They're just going to be a totally different animal than a PT that just gen generally works with general population. So find yourself a physical therapist that basically works with athletes because they're going to have a different outlook and a different approach with things. And then, of course, you know, sleep, nutrition, all that sort of thing. You know, change to a different type of squat. You know, maybe change to a safety, safety squat bar or front squat. You know, find exercises that you do that don't hurt and do those and then get away from anything that causes you pain for, for quite some time. And then, um, you know, slowly go back to the loads that, that, that hurt you. Um, it might be the speed that you're descending. You might be descending too quickly. That might be causing you pain. That uh, Early in my powerlifting career, uh, I remember one time I went down way too fast and that, that kind of triggered that kind of pain response. And then I was able to, I adjusted my the speed of my descent and that took that away because a lot of times when you have like a grabbing pain or something is because you lose tension you lose that brace so there's just a few suggestions for you that you can try but that Stuart mcgill back mechanic book i'd highly recommend that it's it's excellent and then i've had all sorts of questions about you know what to do with my you know golfer my you know young athlete 13 14 
you know, different types of athletes and, and had about eight or 10 different questions about that. And instead of going into specifics, I'm going to give some general recommendations for what I, when I have a kid that comes through my door, how I approach working with them. Um, the first thing I do is I sit them down and I, I listen to like what they want to accomplish. And then I basically look at them. I look at their parents and I was like, I'm like, is this realistic? Um, on a side note, um, speaking of realistic goals and athletics, you know, Stuart McGill, Dr. McGill went into all sorts of fun stuff about hip structure, uh, spine structure it was really interesting. He went into like arching people, people asked him about arching on the bench press. And, you know, you see these women with these huge arches and, and he said, you know, there are some people that have this and I, I you know, I'll generalize this because I can't remember the specifics of what he talked about. The way their spine is constructed, it allows them to bend backwards a lot further. And those people are just able to arch harder and get a bigger arch. So a lot of people that can't, if they force that, they end up hurting themselves. But these people, certain, you know, so you're going to need certain anatomical um, adaptations that are necessarily like you're born with. Like there's certain hip structures um, like the Scottish hip is much better at throwing events. You know, a lot of cultural things. He went into a lot of these cultural martial arts and things where the Bulgarians are great at, at weightlifting because they have deep hip sockets. And the, uh, or I, maybe I've got it backwards, I can't remember. But the hip structure of Bulgarians, Eastern Europeans, allows them to squat super deep. And the hip structure of like your Scottish, uh, Icelandic type, folks allows them to be really good at, at throwing things and, and those sort of events. So a lot of these cultural sports are basically based on their anatomy. So there's a lot of times where um, people are trying to do sports that they just don't have the ideal anatomy for. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind when you're, you know, with the guy that with the pain on the back pain when squatting, he might not have the right hip anatomy to squat super deep. So if he's competing in powerlifting, yeah, he's going to have to find a way to squat super deep. Or, you know, if he's not competing in powerlifting, if he only has pain when he squats super deep, then don't squat super deep. So there, there's a little sideline for you. I'm a little scattered today. I'm a little rusty. But getting back to that athletic development stuff, the number one thing I see with kids today is they have no general physical preparedness. None. Zero. You run them through basic calisthenics, you have them do a few things, simple things, trying to have them do cartwheels or bear crawls, and they look like it's a disaster, absolute disaster. So the number one thing, it doesn't matter what kind of athlete they are, it doesn't matter who they are, the first thing we do is build capacity. And usually we use things like general warm-ups based on you know, what they need specifically, but generally it's really simple as far as getting them to understand where their pelvis is in re regards to their rib cage, getting their hips moving better, getting them moving better through the thoracic spine, just so they understand how to learn to use their body. Because let's face it, and this is going to be even bigger as time goes on because, you know, I've been doing this since 19, the late, early, the mid to late nineties now. So for quite a long time, and the general athleticism and the general preparedness of, of athletes has dramatically declined. And I'll tell you why. Kids don't play outside anymore. They don't play on their own. They're inside playing video games. 
they don't spend hours outside riding bikes and climbing fences and all that kind of stuff like we used to when I when I was a kid. And that's where you develop the movement and and all the different patterns they're in they're in school longer they don't get to go outside and do recess like they used to phys ed programs are non-existent so what happens is the kids are thrown into the end sports is not about learning it's more about winning so you've got these kids that instead of it being play-based at six seven eight are being thrown into what looks like a college program or a pro program and their bodies basically do whatever it takes to survive that basic event. And they don't have enough low level activity to build up the resiliency in order to perform at a high level. It's like a gymnast. They have to spend hours climbing ropes and walking on their hands and doing different drills to prepare their body for the stress, that 10 to 15% stress that they're gonna, that 10 to 15% percentage of their training, which is, competition maximal um, type training uh, to get their body used to that. Well, kids today don't have aerobic capacity. They don't have good movement capacity. Um, it, it's just an absolute shit show. And so when I first working with kids, as soon as I do, we start doing basic calisthenics. We start making them do different types of jumping jacks and hops and skips and, you know, consistently doing that multiple times a week. It is, it's not anything crazy. It has to be at a low level so they can actually learn. Like if you start going into the high intensity stuff, it becomes more of a survival thing and less of a learning thing. Most of the coaching that I do with young kids is in a really low stress environment where we're just kind of going through the motions and I'm teaching them, you know, how to do different things. And I'm telling them, you know, if we're doing like a drill to teach them how to sprint, we might do it out of a mountain climber. I'm going to tell them, I don't want you to run full speed. I don't want you to try really hard. I just want you to, to do like a one, two, three and a go. And let's work on driving our arms harder. If I tell them to go as fast as they can, it's going to fall to pieces. So what I'm seeing is, is kids using like emergency, like I'm maxing, a, you know, I'm maxing out on something strategies for stuff that shouldn't require that kind of strategy. So if you build base and you build capacity, that's going to allow them to move better when things um, get stressful. So a lot of people don't have the patience to do that. The next thing I do, that the next, the next thing of importance after we've built some capacity and what we call movement variability, their ability to move in different ways. Okay. If you get stuck in one pattern, that's where you get in trouble. Now, if you're a super high level Olympic athlete, you know, you need to be highly specialized, but a 13, 14 year old kid, if they're highly specialized at 13 or 14, they're going to break. Now, if you're Hussein Bolt and you're highly specialized to run 100 meters, that's how you win gold medals. Okay. Now, the next thing we look at is can they perform a basic squat pattern, hinge pattern? Because I'm thinking about them years down the road. I'm thinking about them in their high school program and their strength and conditioning program. Do they know how to brace properly? Um, once they're good on two feet, then we go to one leg. Um, and then once they're good on one leg, then we kind of go diagonally, we go sideways. 
and then I see, you know, can they, do they know how to move their shoulder blades on their rib cage correctly? And we can just do simple things to teach them how to do that, like bear crawls, forwards, backwards, sideways. Um, there's all sorts of different things like pulling a, a sled with a rope, you know, teaching them how to move their scapula um, so that their scapula glides on their rib cage. They can move through their thorax properly. These are all things that aren't complicated that you can make them do trick them into doing it by giving them things that force them into that do they know how to create rigidity in their middle uh, you know things like carries things like throwing medicine balls learning so they learn how to relax and explode relax and explode but the big thing is can they safely lift weights and do they know how to talk to their strength coach you know if i got some girl that's like 16 years old who's 6'2 and you know, she has problems pulling from the floor because she can't control her pelvis. Is she smart enough, like when she goes to college, to tell her strength coach, hey, coach, you know, this is a really, I really struggle with pulling off the floor. It hurts my back. Can I pull off blocks instead? Or coach, you know, going over my head is not a good movement for me on the, on the press. Do you think I could do a landmine press instead, which is a little bit easier to control? Um, so educating these kids getting them ready because I, I mean, I've got banners from kids on the wall, you know, fractured spines, you know, shoulders messed up from, from their strength and conditioning programs. Cause a lot of times their strength programs try to turn these kids into little weightlifters, uh, when they're not little weightlifters, they're athletes. So, and a lot of times they get pushed uh, a little too hard too soon. So teaching these kids, um, how to lift within their means and how to do the basic fundamental things um, and how to talk to their strength coach. So if there is something, you know, that's bothering them or hurting, they just don't push through it and um, making sure that they know how to, you know, what extension feels like when it's appropriate and when it's not and what flexion feels like, you know, learning how to feel their whole foot, just things like that, just simple things that, that we, we do. And then, you know, teaching them how to strain appropriately through, you know, heavy, I love heavy sled drags and pushes and, and things like that, um, to build some durability and, and some, uh, some grit. So, and then getting into, you know, teaching about nutrition because most of these kids that come here, their nutrition is just absolutely horrid and teaching them about sleep and technology and about, you know, being on your phone at, you know, 1230 midnight, you know, chatting, you know, 1230, 11 o'clock at night, chatting your friends, um, is not really going to be conducive for long-term athletic performance. Um, and the importance of sleep and water instead of drinking sodas and, you know, why it's important to maybe, you know, get an Epic bar or have some nuts or something as a snack, as opposed to eating a whole bag of Skittles before practice. Uh, you know, importance of protein at every meal, just these basic fundamental things that these kids just are not getting because most of their nutrition is horrible. Their sleep is horrible. Their general level of preparedness is horrible and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, way, 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 way worse. Um, as a society, um, we're just becoming indoor zoo animals and it's not good. It's not good. And if you're in this industry, um, you're going to have to be in order to survive. There's going to be some, some kids that are going to make it, you know, obviously we've got enough genetic, uh, d diversity 
and enough po- enough of a population where if one breaks, they just throw another one in. Um, but it's going to get crazy. And in order to survive, you're going to have to simplify and you're going to have to become a glorified phys ed teacher so you can set these kids up for success. And so that when they go off to college, they have basic fundamental skills in the weight room so they aren't going to get hurt when they go in the weight room. Um, you know, the, the, the college strength and conditioning has gotten way better since I started. Uh, like some, it's still there's some crazy stuff out there. Some of the things that I see that these kids have to do, I just kind of shake my head, um, especially in high schools and stuff. It's just insane. But it's getting better, so that helps. Like, you know, people like Joe Ken with his tier program um, and his, uh, what does he call it? Not the tier program, but he's got like a, um, he brings, they bring, when Joe Ken was a strike coach, they brought block zero. That's what it is, block zero. They bring him in and they basically run him through all sorts of primal movement patterns and preparation for real training. And uh, there's a lot more colleges that are running this sort of deal because most of the kids um, that you see, have spent so much time playing their sport and they haven't really done anything outside like play on playgrounds. So they haven't really developed their body like from a physical standpoint, other than playing their sport. Um, so they need some sort of athletic development, basic block zero type program to set them up so that a strength program is going to actually benefit them instead of harm them. And then I had another question, actually several questions about special population, elderly people. Um, I had a, um, you know, I've got Doc, my 90-year-old, that uh, that I've posted videos on, and people were asking me, like, what do I do? What's my approach with them? I've got a number of people that have Parkinson's, and uh, I've got we got a number of clients that are 70-plus years of age. And, um, you know, the thing we do with them is, you know, the same deal we do with everyone else is, you know, stress management, get outside, walk, you know, plenty of good food, Um and we try to give them some things to do every day on their own. And she's usually on the floor or on their bed, on their mattress, uh, because they need to move every day in different ways because a lot of them have developed strategies once again where they're stuck in one strategy. But the floor is my friend when it comes to these kind of people. Getting them on the floor, you know, knee hugs and circles and glute bridges and, and all fours bear crawling, you know, not real bear crawls at first. You know, simple things like, and it's going to vary person to person. You might just... Somebody who's like got Parkinson's, it's in, you know, like I have a guy that's got Parkinson's, got a walker. It's as simple as, you know, having him do like 10 glute bridges the best he can and then having him roll over on the right and getting on all fours and then laying back down and rolling over to the left. And then once that gets easy, you know, having him roll over and then get up and then get back down. Just really, really simple stuff. Teaching him how to get up and down out of a chair. Uh, but what I try and do with every one of the older people or the special populations like Alzheimer's or, you know, people with rheumatoid arthritis or anything is I try and find something, one or two things that people do well. Uh, like I have a Parkinson's patient that I've been working with for a long time, and he's done very, very well. He used to be a very high-level um, baseball player. I think he believe, believe he played the minor leagues or maybe made the major leagues for a couple of years, but... You know, this guy has trouble just functioning um, every day. But if you give him a med ball and you tell him to throw it like a baseball swing, he looks like a professional athlete. So on days when I see him walk through the door and he's struggling, I'm going to be like, he's good at push-ups and he's really good at like 
assisted chin-ups like on the rings like i set the rings at his level and he uses his legs and he he does like chin-ups he's really good at those three things so on days where i see he's really struggling to walk and it's really interesting because if you have someone that has parkinson's and they're kind of frozen and you just go out and you give them something to target like you put your arm out in front of them and they aim for your arm and all of a sudden they break free it kind of tricks their brain into into working um so if i have someone who's really struggling I'll try and give them like three or four of the things that they're really good at just because nobody wants to come in and just suck at everything. Uh, you know, beginners too, I'll try and find stuff, a few things that they're really, really good at that they can do that make them feel kind of empowered because nobody wants to come in and just get their ass handed to them. Although there are some people that I've worked with that are in such bad shape that everything kicks their ass, even just warm ups on the floor, they're sweating and shaking and, um, and then you just have to kind of work through that and give them some things, especially walking, that they can uh, that they can handle to build the capacity in order for them to handle the ability to adapt. Um, and most people don't have the capacity to handle the stress so that they can adapt and that they can get the, the adaptations that they're they're looking for. So that kind of brings us to this article that I wanted to discuss. Um, All pain, no gain, why the high-intensity training obsession has failed us by Joel Jameson. And and Joel is somebody that, you know, if you've listened to me over the years, that, you know, I highly respect and puts out unbelievable quality of information. And I think one of the most misunderstood things in the fitness industry or by people in general, is that the harder you work, the more calories you burn, the more results you get. And Joel does a really, really good job in this article of not only relaying personal experience to the matter, but explaining how the body works and how the brain works. And what people don't understand is that you have this basically set limit. Your body has a limit of how much energy it's going to expend no matter how much activity you do and your brain is number one your brain's priority number one is keeping itself alive and that's it like it's going to basically put all its resources towards keeping you alive okay and one of the last things that your body like prioritizes is you getting jacked and uh, your fitness increasing because that that basically has as far as a survival uh, you know obviously if you have to run from something or something the fitter you are the, the better chance you're going to have to get away but anything that takes away from the brain getting what it needs your body's going to kind of put on the back burner and most people don't understand how much like everyday stress cuts into your body's resources and so if you have a performance goal your basically your recovery should be your number one priority you're walking outside your nutrition your sleep um, your restorative breathing stuff like breathing drills he's got articles on there you know mike and bill uh, mike roberts and bill hartman who've both been on the show talking about breathing drills to help you relax and recover. Um, 
so that you have more resources available for tissue repair and adaptation. Because basically your body's going to shuttle um, all your energy towards this number one priority, which is your brain. And then after that, it's vital, vital, vital uh, functions and organs. And then if you're basically training your ass off, um, you're basically going to take resources away from your digestion, from, you know, all these other different things, from your, your reproductive abilities. Um, so that's, that's basically the bottom line. And once you understand that, um, that people are living in this constant state of recovery debt, it's kind of like having your credit cards maxed out, um, and you need to start paying those credit cards off, then you can start getting some results. Um, but, you know, that's the reason why people take steroids and performance-enhancing drugs is so they can basically push through and enhance their recovery by enhancing themselves with pharmaceuticals. The, the reason you take steroids is so you can train harder. So if you don't want to do that, which I don't recommend for, for anyone, um, and it's obviously a personal choice, but if you don't want to do the steroid route, and even the people like myself who did take performance-enhancing drugs, if you're not sleeping and if you're constantly pushing yourself and you're working too much, you're going to end up hitting a brick wall like I did when I got ulcerative colitis. And that's you know how I learned the hard way that you know the harder you train, the harder you have to rest, and the more priority. That's why I have right here sitting in the front office doing this podcast, I have rest more painted in big blue letters on the wall um, so that people can see it coming in and leaving that rest and nourishment and relaxation need to be your number one priority so that you have the resources to push and you have the resources to adapt to the push pushing that you're doing and if your goal is performance okay understand that <clears throat> you're going to be you know if you're going down the performance rabbit hole you're flirting with with health disaster injury or health issues and and if your goal is just to look good and feel good you want to flirt with performance you don't want to go out with it and your body will fight back against you and a lot of people will use stimulants or use steroids to fight back against that but in the end it ends up biting you on the ass and so, you know, it was interesting uh, when I was up at that seminar with Ed Cohn and Stuart McGill and Stan Efferding, and Stan was talking about some of the world-class athletes he works with, and it's the same stuff. It's like, okay, you know, here's what we got to eat. We got to eat real food. We got to eat, you know, protein, and we got to eat, you know, uh, the right types of carbohydrates at the right time, and we've got to sleep. And, you know, going over like all the big strongmen he works with, getting them, making sure they're using a CPAP because most of them have sleep apnea, um, <clears throat> you know, and getting them to walk outside every day. You know, Stuart McGill talked a lot about that, about how, you know, walking outside for 10 or 15 minutes a day for the strength athlete to learn how to relax and to shut off that, uh, you know, high threshold kind of deal to give you more resources for when you do need to go like a dragster how important that is and even with the top level athletes 
it comes down to the same basic stuff and and most of the top level athletes are not are not doing that stuff you know they have to get a coach to keep them accountable because it's it sucks i mean nobody wants to do you know everybody wants to come in and 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 push and it feels good and it feels great to strain and push hard uh, but nobody wants to do the walking nobody wants to do the restorative stuff nobody wants to do the the relaxation that's not fun it's 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 um it it is it's kind of liberating once you kind of you know i used to hate meditation and relaxation and all that kind of stuff but once you kind of get into it and once you realize how good it makes you feel it's kind of it's kind of freeing but in our high pace uh, high pace society um it's kind of hard for people to get there because a lot of them have just forgotten what it's like to relax and to chill and to do nothing um you know and we're seeing the side effects of a go 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 lifestyle with a lot of the kids we're dealing with i've seen you know 13 14 i got a i got a young kid that i just met with today actually that has rheumatoid arthritis at 16. you know we're seeing things in children that we normally wouldn't see until they're in their you know 50s 60s 70s and 80s and i think you know i'm obviously not a doctor but i think in my opinion a lot of that is the environment that we're in um go 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 phones computers um we're not spending time outside like we used to and so our society and our, our environment is changing faster than our biology can and our biology doesn't really like a lot of the things in the modern world they're great because they make our lives easier but they also make us more vulnerable um we might be living longer but a lot of us are living wronger longer which is uh no fun so just a few things for you to think about and uh i apologize for being off the grid for so long and i'm sorry this was a little choppy i'm a little rusty so um, if you have any ideas of you know, guests you'd like me to interview or topics you'd like me to cover, feel free to email me at G-Y-M-L-A-I-R-D at gmail.com, and I'll try my best to accommodate them. Um, I'm going to try to get into the habit of getting in a rhythm on these again. It's just difficult because, you know, I spend a lot of time coaching, and it's hard when you're you know, trying to get interviews with people when they have different schedules and have limited time. And I'm really trying to make sure that I take care of myself first. And this is something, you know, I have to follow my own advice that I talk about with clients, especially women that are running around like the chicken with their head cut off is that you got to put that oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on the person next to you in the plane when the, you know, the oxygen mask drop. So I got to make sure that I don't take away from my own uh, time um, in order to do these things. So I'm trying to find a little more balance. And that's part of the reason I took so much time to do this is because I was trying to get myself organized and get myself in a place where I'm making sure that I take care of myself first uh, and then do the bonus stuff later. Uh, because, you know, that's you know kind of important because without me, you know, without me taking care of myself, I really can't help anybody else. So I really need to help myself first, if that makes sense. I'm kind of rambling at this point, which is fine. 
Well, thanks again for tuning in, and I look forward to coming back for another edition of the Jim Laird Show, brought to you by Body.io FM. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Jim Laird Show with your host, Jim Laird. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. Don't miss the next episode of The Jim Laird Show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful. Oh, 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 o